You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express 27 East.com and Sag Harbor Express.com, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. Program airs on WLIW FM 88.3 on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. and repeats Sundays at 1 p.m. I'm Bill Sutton, Managing Editor of the Express News Group. My co-host this week is Annette Hinkle, the Arts and Living Editor for the Express News Group. Good morning, Annette. Hey, Bill. How are you doing? Good. Um, joining us on our panel today are Denise Civiletti, Publisher Editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, everyone. And Beth Young, Publisher and Editor of the East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Good morning. So I thought we would start off uh, this week, as we do most weeks, talking about COVID. It's still uh, very much on everybody's mind. And we had shocking news the other other day when uh, County Executive Steve Ballone announced that um, even though he's been vaccinated, he's tested positive for COVID. Um, and we had we had a similar breakthrough case um, in the Express newsroom this week. I don't want to name any names, but. <clears throat> um, you know, staff member who had been uh, fully vaccinated, um, tested positive for for COVID, and you know, and, and is um, holed up in their in their home um, on quarantine for a few days. Um, and I noticed, I noted that. Um, so, so now with the uh, with the booster shots, and I got my booster shot last week, and I'm really happy, and probably feeling a little too invincible. Um, but I, you know, of course, still wearing my mask and all that. But um, they are they're they're going to start now with the mix and match booster shots. So if you had had um, if you had had you know your your initial doses with with you know one kind of um, one kind of shot, you can now move on to something else. And and I think maybe um, they're they're recommending that for people with who had had the Johnson and Johnson that maybe they go to the Moderna or the Pfizer for for their booster shot. Denise, I know you're you've you've had your booster shot, right? Yes, I did. Um, and um, I don't feel that invincible, though. I keep hoping I will. But um, I, I, you know, I, I, breakthrough infections happen. And I think the thing to remember is that, uh, according to the health experts, um, they are not anything like when you're not vaccinated and you get an infection. Um, right. Looking at looking at the statistics of you know this new uh, dashboard that the state put up um, is actually pretty handy. If you haven't explored it, you, you should. Uh, just the people out there, you know, that's listening to this because um, it's very accessible and they have a lot of different data and it's all in one place, uh, which is nice. And it used to be, as we all know, having to struggle with you know figuring out what the state information where it was and what it said and you know it disappeared after a day a lot of times like so this is a really big improvement but in looking at the data you know people are way more likely to get like i think six times at least more likely to get um be hospitalized from an infection um that if when you're when you're not vaccinated at all I may be misstating that number, but it may be even higher. Right. <laughs> um, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like night and day difference. So, you know, people who are like, well, see, the vaccine doesn't work. Uh, no, that's absolutely not the case, because if you're not vaccinated and you get infected, you can end up in some really serious trouble. Um, 
we had a good friend uh, have, get a breakthrough infection and um, she was actually pretty sick for a few days, but right. you know, like a flu and um, you know, now she's better. Thank goodness. So, you know, it happens, but um, it's, it beats the, beats the alternative for sure. We have so. Pretty high vaccination rates out here though. Don't we? Yes. Yeah. Well, so. kind of lower in our neck of the woods over here mm-hmm. in Riverhead, right. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, the South Park vaccination rates were high, but I, I guess there was always a question about, um, you know, they were basing that on census numbers from, you know, population numbers from years ago. But you had a lot of people who had come out to the to the East End and South right. Fork during the pandemic. And, you know, and were those people included and and how did that work? But I, I think anecdotally, yeah, I think we've just, you know, really. Um, everybody I talked to has been, been pretty much vaccinated, except for the, the naysayers here and there. Um, Beth, have you gotten a booster shot? Uh, I haven't, but um, my partner has. Yeah, uh, knocked him out a couple of days, but he's. I just back. wonder are they are they actually recommending that you if you had like say Pfizer, do they recommend that you go with Moderna next, or have they not been that specific on recommendations? Well, yeah, I had the Moderna shot first, which is why I. I I hadn't really looked into it, but um, yeah, the mixed match is coming down the pike. I think currently you have to be over, you have to be either a frontline worker, have a health condition or be over 60, is it? It's 65. Or 50 with um, with underlying health conditions, which is which is how I qualified. Yeah. Yeah. They moved that down to 18, I think just yesterday. Oh, did they? Yeah. Well, that's great. Then. Yeah. Um, I think where the recommendation might come into play, uh, Bill, is uh, the uh, if you had the Johnson Johnson, which was a one shot vaccine. Right. Now, do you get another J&J shot or one of the others? And I think what they're saying with that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, they sh- those folks should get a Moderna or a Pfizer, not another J&J. Is that correct? I, I think that's what I've heard. An article I read this morning was was saying that that there was some evidence that people who had had the J and J shot would do better with um, switching. Um, I don't think they're recommending that necessarily if you had the Moderna or the Pfizer, but they're right. saying it, it's okay. Um, probably depending on, you know, what, what's available where you're getting your booster shot. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, again, I use the word invincible, but I felt really, um, we, I, I went with, with Joe Shaw actually who couldn't be here. Um, on the show t- this week, he's in, in Colorado, but we had gone together a couple of weeks ago and, and got turned away from the shop because we didn't quite qualify yet. So we went back a week later and and got it done. And I think we were both feeling really um, upset a little that we were turned away the first time, but <laughs> um, I feel really good about it now that, you know, that we got it moving forward. And that should make you feel better, Bill, because it meant that you either weren't old enough or unhealthy enough to get it. <laughs> yeah, what, what, yeah. Why did they turn you away? Because they, they weren't at that point, it was just people who were 65 and older or some or people who were severely immunocompromised. And, and they, they asked several times, are you, you know, immunocompromised? And I kept trying to say yes. And Joe kept saying, no, no, we'll wait our turn. 
determined. Joe's, right, a, we'll nice, Joe's, a, Joe's a nicer guy than me because I probably would have uh, would have said yes and gotten the shot. But um, it sounds like a podcast episode. <laughs> Two editors. Yeah, he will be. <laughs> we should have. One's we honest. One's not. We should have recorded it. Yeah, I'm the little. I'm the sleazier one, I guess. I would have lied and just gotten the shot, but um, but whatever. I think the thing to remember here is that, um, you know, shot or no, and especially no shot, but even with a shot, you know, it's the virus is still widely circulating in our community. And, you know, I mean, we're still looking at seven day rates that in Suffolk that are, you know, near 3%. And, you know, it's important to keep wearing the mask, maintain social distance and be smart about, you know, how you interact in public places. I mean, you know, because you can get sick, even if you don't, you know, get sick enough to get into the hospital or die. Thank you know, you can get get sick. So well, be smart you're, about it. If you're and you can infect other people. I, that's what I was going to say. If you're contracting it, then then you can be spreading it and and, you know, and all that. I think it's interesting. I was actually in um, the city last week weekend and um, they're really strict about you cannot walk into a restaurant. Um, I went to see a, a, a show on Broadway. You can't get in the door any place unless you show your vaccination card, your ID, and you're wearing a mask. Um, and I think what's interesting is out here, that doesn't seem to be um, something that people are asking for at all. I went to a restaurant in Bridgehampton last night and, you know, just walked right in and there was no, nobody was checking for anything. So I don't know, do we have any of those kind of mandates out here? Are people or restaurants or anybody like checking that sort of thing these days? I think it's specific to the city and, and out here, it's, it's certainly up to the, to the business owner. And I think that's where you're going to, you know, I mean, do you, do you turn away business or, or do you, you know, do you cater to people who are, are vaccinated and want to come in? I went to, um, you know, I went to a, a you know, a, a small restaurant in, in Riverhead last night and um, I wore the mask in to get to the table, but nobody else in the, in the place was wearing masks and it's, you know, it's interesting to see that. Yeah, I, I think I would be in favor of those mandates personally. I think you know it's it's starting to get cooler. We're going to have the holidays. We're going to see those numbers you know tick up a little bit, and the more we can do to you know to protect each other and protect the community, the better. I think that it's those kinds of rules are not going to be put in place voluntarily by businesses for a variety of reasons in Suffolk County anyway, and. Um, I think what you're seeing in the city is a result of uh, New York City mandates, right? I mean, didn't the city mandate yeah. those th- that? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I know I hear, you know, we get press releases every day from various political, uh, you know, politicians decrying that and, you know, saying all kinds of things about that. So, um, you know, there's a, a lot of people who are opposed to those mandates. And I think that businesses aren't going to do that unless absolutely forced to and maybe even even then they won't. Um, well, I think you saw that with the school districts and the mask mandate. I mean, the school districts were poised to, you know, do the mask mandate, but they were all really grateful when, when the state came in and, you know, and, and made the mandate and kind of took, took that decision away from them. And they could just tell the parents and, and there were parents in a few school districts who were upset about the mask policy. Um, and you could just tell them at that point where, you know, our hands are tied. This is, you know, this is what we're going to do. You know, we had a very different course of this pandemic here in Suffolk than um, New York City and this New York state numbers. You know, those charts that the governor, uh, the former governor uh, was always displaying, you know, they showed 
that giant peak in the beginning last spring, and then this just this decline, it just went away. But if you look at the numbers, uh, we have a chart on our website. If you look at the, that chart and you see the course of it um, since last March, you see that our big peak wasn't then. I mean, it was a big peak for a while until we got the last fall. <laughs> and then, you know, our cases peaked and, um, you know, January, early January to February, that's where our mountain peak is. Yeah, you know, our mountain Christmas top. surge. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, what Bill is saying is a good point. You know, you're, we're going into that season right now and we're starting out at a higher place than we were last fall at this time. So, you know, hopefully yeah. there's enough people vaccinated to kind of stem the, the tide of infections like that, but we'll see. Right. I mean, those numbers last year were, were pre, you know, pre, um, pre-vaccine, pre, pre-vaccine yeah. which. The other fear is, do we have like another variant on the horizon that, uh, you know, the Delta variant was a little bit more um, virulent consistent, yeah, against the vaccine, vac- that vaccine. And I'm just wondering if there's another vir- you know, variant swirling out there that we have to be on the lookout for. So this uh, New York State, this new hub that they called it um, with the data, the data hub, they they um, they have a, a variant tracker on there. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. And, and you awesome. can look and see exactly what variants are circulating in the state and to what extent. And at the moment, anyway, it's like almost all Delta. Um, there was that MU thing for a little while, there, right. but that seems to have flitted away. I don't know. So. Yeah, I, I hope. I'll see. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, happens. I hope uh, the county executive recovers quickly and uh, sure, certainly his, his kids are safe and healthy. And yeah, um, what, was he in Riverhead on Monday? I I didn't I didn't see no. Oh yeah, no, he was not actually. Okay, I was about oh, Monday. What was Monday? The wall hundred years ago. It feels like right. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a week. Um, no, he did not come, actually, now that you mention it. Um, they they were, at first, you know, they had him on the list of people who were coming, but uh, that morning they said that, uh, a, a town official said that uh, he, he was not going to make it. So I don't know if that had anything to do with his announcement this week, but um, he, he was not able to attend. So speaking of that event, were yeah. you there, Beth? I don't remember, no, I but... but yeah. um, so the uh, Riverhead Town had purchased these uh, buildings on Main Street opposite the Suffolk Theater. Um, one of them was particularly decrepit. Um, and uh, the other one, not so much, but not a great building. And they want to, the town wants to make a town square there. So these buildings are being uh, taken down. And they had a, a very, um, you know, it was a big to-do uh, downtown with, uh, you know, Lee Zeldin came and um, various officials from around the county and the town officials, of course, and uh, um, the supervisor of the town uh, got into an excavator and made the first uh, claw at the at the building and took down the uh, the awning over what had been the loading dock for uh, Sweezy's home furnishing store. And then. Somebody else got into the, you know, worker got into the excavator and took down a portion of a wall. I can, here's a behind the headline story for you because I didn't put this in my story. Um, but the uh, owner of the contracting company that um, won the demolition um, award bid 
uh, Joe Petroselli, Petroselli Contracting, which of course has built a lot of things in downtown Riverhead. Um, but he, he told me that um, that morning, um, there's this, there was this one like kind of, it was attached, it was brick structure attached to the building proper, but had a separate entrance to it. And um, that door was locked and he figured out it was just secure. Now the door was locked because uh, a homeless person had changed the lock on the door and was living in there. Oh no. Joe wow. Petroselli said, thank goodness they broke the door down and looked in before, you know, um, it's a windowless little brick structure. And he said that this man had actually tapped into the electric from the light pole from the town in the town parking lot. Um, really? So very, yeah, that very resourceful uh, person. Really? And I said, did he have furniture and stuff? And he said, no, just a bag of you know stuff. And he picked up his bag and skedaddled when he was discovered. But of course, this was before I got there. I couldn't see it or verify it, but this is what he told me. And, I, you know, I can't say I'd be shocked about that. I mean, I've seen people living in burned out cars near the McDonald's on the on, in Riverside, you right. know, and that by, behind the gas station back there. And that's in that area. Um, people live, you know, where they can, unfortunately. Right. So, yeah, we had a we had a. Uh... Joe Shaw did a, a Q&A with the director of uh, Maureen's Maureen's Haven um, yeah. as they're they're gearing up. And certainly they do work year round, but they're gearing up for their winter. Um, their winter, I mean, they, they have contract with with different churches, houses of worship or whatever, and, and you know, bring in the homeless people, at, um, you know, to stay overnight and get a hot meal and a shower and a change of clothes. And it's a, a great service they do. But. He was just talking about just the increase in the number of homeless people on on the east end. Um, it's yeah. going to be an interesting year for them. And it's, with COVID, they have limited space and capabilities in these house, houses of worship. So sometimes they're doing two or three different ones, um, you know, a night. Yeah, and it's been hard for their volunteers because a lot of their volunteers have been older and they didn't really want the, to expose them to the virus last winter. Right. Um, do we do we think that COVID sort of drove the increase in homeless? Were people coming out from other areas maybe to get away from the city or? <coughs> I, I don't know if it was that, but I think you had a lot of people who, who lost jobs and, and, you know, and couldn't work and couldn't yeah. make the bills. And, you know, I think there's a, a core group of homeless people who, you know, who were just, um, I don't know what the right word is, but consistently homeless. And then there are, I think, you know, some situational um things and especially in the the latino community and you know in the other underserved communities and um it's just really sad something we you know thank god for marine's haven and something that local governments need to, to look at i think i mean we we have a couple of known uh for lack of a better way to put it homeless camps in uh in the woods right in in riverhead town um and uh, you know Everybody knows that they're there. They live in the woods, and uh, and these are uh, one of them at least is um, a Latino workers, migrants who you know they have nowhere to live, and um, uh, you know. So I think that you know, as the, those um, essential workers who are um, what's the uh, the phrase they used to describe them? They were essential, but not 
provided for, um, you know, with, with the various relief packages, um, you know, if they lost their jobs and they lost their work or they got sick or they didn't, you know, get tested because they were afraid of having to not go to work then. I mean, you know, I heard stories like that all last year. Um, you know, I don't want to get a test. I don't want to, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't lose the work. time. Yeah. I can't not go to work because I don't get paid. And I don't, you know, so people were in a real bind. And when those folks had their jobs impacted, I think that would be, and that like the reason for um, an inc- uh, one of the reasons for an increase in homelessness. And um, that was one of the things that we saw at that rally um, this past weekend. Right, Beth? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, let, let's move into that. Beth, you had a, a, a great story in photos on the, uh, it was the Immigration Reform March um, on October 16th in, in Riverhead. And that was, it was intended in, in part to send a message to, to Chuck Schumer, right? Senator Schumer? Right. Yeah. He had said earlier this year that he wanted to include a pathway to citizenship for very specific groups of immigrants, including um, DACA recipients. Uh, people have temporary protected status and essential workers um, in the ne- next year's budget, um, federal budget. Now, there's been some talk from the Senate par- parliamentarian that they can include it. They cannot include it. Um, but Schumer's office is supposedly still working on this. He's, he he told um, Sister Margaret or his office told Sister Margaret Smythe of the North Fork Spanish Apostolate um, that they were working on it. Um, and her response to that was basically, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh-huh. Um, and she told everybody at the march that she'll believe it when she sees it. Uh-huh. Um, I thought it was very interesting. They, um, the organizers of the march, which included uh, Ola and um, this, um, uh, the Northwark Spanish Apostolate and Rural Migrant Ministries and some other broader groups um, um, from the city, uh, that uh, they they invited all the East End Town supervisors and none of them could make it. And the only politician who came was Fred Thiel. Um, uh, and they basically said, you know, um, this is something that it is a local issue because people live, live here and are working here. And um, the state has done some things as far as uh, providing driver's licenses or a pathway to a driver's license. Um, but uh, you know the the dreamers are really stuck in limbo right now because they've the program started in 2012, and they really don't know what their future is going to be. They kind of made plans based on it. We're talking about uh, DACA, right? Deferred action yeah. for childhood right. arrivals that provides a path to supposedly was supposed to provide a path to citizenship, right? For for children that were brought to the United States either with immigrant parents or or some other reason that. Um, that grew up here, you know, alongside other, you know, other kids in schools and, and for all intents and pur- purposes are, are, you know, quote unquote American, but, but they don't just don't have the legal status and be able to go to college or be able to drive a car, like you said, and, and all those other things that a lot of people might take for granted. They, they don't have. I've, um, I've spoken to, I've done stories about DACA recipients, the dreamers and, uh, a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple at this point, but uh, the two, uh, the, the valedictorian and the salutatorian at Riverhead High School were both um, dreamers. Um, mm. Both, interestingly uh, enough, Eastern European dreamers. Um, 
because everybody, when we think of dreamers, we think of the whole immigration issue. We think of uh, you know immigrants from from Central and South America, but uh, there are plenty of other immigrants in our community in, in Riverhead anyway. And um, I, you know, some of these kids, one of them that I interviewed, didn't even know that was her that she was a a DACA, you know, a dreamer. She didn't even know she wasn't. I mean, she'd lived here since she was a little kid, and she found out only when she wanted to go on a middle school. Uh, French class trip that they take to Montreal hmm. and um, you know, her parents had to sit her down and say, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. And here's why. And then, you know, then they spoke about what happened to, you know, how, how hard it was to be able to go to college and, you know, when, were they going to get financial aid? And, you know, I mean, there's a whole host of things. And as we saw at the rally, uh, you know, people, got up and, and spoke about those those issues that they face as, um, you know, migrant undocumented youngsters um, growing up. And um, it was pretty it was pretty moving. Um, I, I want to just mention that I reported I haven't had the chance this week to uh, loop back and speak with um, Sandra from Ola, but um, I reported what she said about, you know, Fred Thiel was the only one that responded and uh, I, you know, the next morning or maybe even that night, I don't know, I got a phone call from uh, Assemblywoman Jody Giglio to say that uh, that was the next day that she was not she had no communication about this whatsoever. And, mm. you know, she spoke to her office manager um, or district manager um, and had her check her. She was very upset that this, you know, so um I, I need to follow up on that actually, uh, and see that that you know ver to verify that um, yeah. uh, the Riverhead supervisor did not dispute that she was contacted. And when I asked her, when I asked her about it, she sent me a text message that she that she ha have has always and always will support legal immigration. Huh. Um, that was her answer to what what went on in the in the park in downtown Riverhead this week. So. Yeah. So, uh, Beth, you interviewed a, a, a few of the people um, in, in the march, and this was kind of a march through downtown Riverhead, right? What was what was the mood like? What were people saying? Um, I would I would not say it was cheerful, right. um, but it was it was. Determined. I think a lot of people felt the you know the solidarity of the large numbers, um, um, and I think and and De Denise knows more about this than I do, but I mean. I, there've been you know attacks on 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 latin american immigrants in in riverhead so i think for them to be able to to congregate in those numbers and and feel safe i think was a powerful thing yeah um one of the things that the people who spoke really said was you know there's one girl who um who had been a daca recipient and she wasn't able to renew it this year and she was able to apply for another program but only because her um her father had died Hmm. Um, so th the fact that her father was dead made it possible for her to continue to work here, um, which was a very sad story. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I just I can't I can't imagine that. I mean, it's just a, not not all consuming, but ever present fear that these people, I mean, I feel on a day to day basis that that somehow they could be picked up and sent to a, a country that they've never lived in, um, a culture that they've never lived in and just, you know, dropped off the bus and, and, and here you go. And, you know, worried about, you know, talking too much or people finding out, 
um, you know, their status and that type of thing. I mean, it's just got to be really, really scary stuff. Well, then you have the irony of so many employers not being able to find help. Right. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it just seems to me that, you know, just it's just very odd to me that, you know, you can that people complain about immigrants on the one hand, and yet you have employers who can't fill a lot of jobs. And, you know, so it's not like the opportunity is not here for them. Right. So we, I mean, let's face it, that there's so many people that fill jobs that other people would never fill. I mean, right. they just wouldn't be doing them. And, uh, you know, I when you look at it, you know, I, I it drives me kind of batty when we publish any story about the, anything related to this subject. You know, go, you know, just get legal, get legal, become a citizen. Why do you, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like these people don't want to do it. The right, right. way, but they, like, you know. like there's an easy way to do it. Just go and it just, paperwork yeah. and, and get it done. I mean, the system has been broken for so long. It's yeah. it was not, 1965 was the last time we had any kind of comprehensive immigration reform. We had that amnesty period under the Reagan administration in like 83 or 80, whatever it was. Right. But um, that's it. And we've yeah. just been arguing about it ever since. And these folks have to wait. You know, after they become eligible for a visa in their country, they have to wait a decade some, sometimes, depending on it's dependent on the country. And anybody from Central America, like you can't even apply to, to come in without waiting for ten, like 10 years, six years. And so there is really effectively no legal immigration from these places. And so, you know, when they're trying to escape from the situations that they're living in, which are horrendous in terms of especially violence and war and things like that, you know, of course, they're going to try to get in any way they can to escape sure. that and, and, you know, find a new and better way of life, they hope. Um, I I don't, I mean, it's just, it's sickening to me that it's just, you know, that's, we, we just don't care too bad, you know, yeah. which is basically what a lot of people I think are willing to say. And, yeah. you know, it's this needs to get fixed, but will it ever? I, we just keep getting different sized band aids put on it. So, can't get a woman do anything. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And, and, I, and I, over the last four years, I mean, things you know took took several steps backwards, and and that's sad to see. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on uh, WLIW 88.3. Oh. I'm Bill Sutton, managing editor of the Express News Group. My co-host today is Annette Hinkle, arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And we're joined by Denise Civiletti, publisher editor at Riverhead Local, and Beth Young, publisher editor at the East End Beacon. So we're all tired because it's it's coming up on, on election day, local election day, and, and, uh, and this is... The, the the most loved and hated uh, time of year for for journalists and and local newspapers and um, and and websites. Um, I, um, I know Denise, you're you're fresh off hosting a, a debate for uh, town supervisor candidates in in Riverhead that you're going to be posting hopefully on on Monday. That uh, and the Express News Group we had a we had a a, an, a Zoom. Uh, debate for the Southampton Town Board candidates and um, uh, highway superintendent candidates the other night, and that's available in 2070s. But Denise, how did your, uh, but without without getting into uh, specifics and endorsements and stuff, I don't know that we want to have that conversation yet, but how did your debate go? Yeah, we don't even, we don't do endorsements generally. So, um, but uh, well, no furniture was broken. That's always a plus. <laughs> That's, you know, um, 
it, this has been an extremely acrimonious campaign between the sitting supervisor and an incumbent councilwoman who has um, is giving up a, like her term is up. So she's not running for reelection to run for supervisor. And um, it has been extremely ac acrimonious. And um, I mean, at yesterday's work session, um, I, I Alec and uh, people in town hall who were Alec Lewis, our reporter, covered it. And um, he hasn't finished writing the story because basically he said it was just giving him a really big headache yesterday, <laughs> trying to summarize what was going on. And we had to get ready for the debate last night. So that, you know, that I was I was seriously kind of worried. But, um, you know, it was not exactly warm and fuzzy, but, you know, no furniture was broken. And, um, you know, we succeeded in, in completing it. So I was happy about that. We are hosting a debate on um, Monday uh, evening for the town council candidates. Um, and that will likely go up on Tuesday. And away we go, uh, coming into the home stretch. That's usually when the crazy things happen. Right. So since crazy things have been happening right along, I'm not sure what to expect. We shall it, see. It's going to get crazier and crazier. Beth, how is uh, it, how, how important is it for people to vote in these local elections and why? Oh, it's the most important uh, thing. Absolutely. Um, uh, everything you, you see the results of everything that um, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. You can see you can see the results of everything that um, everything that you vote for on the local level. Um, and uh, that's that's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, these, I, I are the, thought... these are the people that control the budgets, which which control the taxes and the tax rates and and, you know, and all that. I... Yeah. Yeah. Things that things that directly affect your life. I, I thought it was interesting. Are, are you guys doing East Hampton Town debates at the Express News Group? We're, we're not we're not doing a, a debate because um, the. Republican Party candidates declined to participate in, in Zoom events um, yeah, for other organizations. And we figured if they weren't going to do it for them, then there was no point in us doing a, a debate with uh, with them either. Yeah, that's very strange. The League of Women Voters went ahead anyway. Yeah. Uh, just the Democratic and Independence candidates. What was um, the reason for that? What did they say? Why didn't they? They wanted they wanted everything to be in person and, and live and, you know, and all that and hmm. um, just objected to, you know, to the online format. Um, but I, I in, which is difficult for me to understand in this um, this this day and age, although you were able to do it, Denise. So maybe um, maybe there's some argument there. Yeah, I mean, the South uh, uh, yeah, I know I was going to say I originally we were thinking we would do it by Zoom. Um, just because of being in a room and I, I don't know. Um, but then we started thinking about what if we, somebody's Wi-Fi um, goes out. Uh, yeah. Apparently there was an issue with that with one of the supervisor candidates uh, in their Newsday interview, which they did by Zoom. And, um, I, you know, I didn't, I foresaw the possibility of like Wi-Fi going out and uh, somebody accusing me that I like pulled the plug on purpose on them or something right. like, I, you know, I was like, uh, uh, this could, you know, so I, I, I secured a, uh, a conference room <laughs> and we, and we did it there last night. So did, did you I have an know. audience or was it just you and the candidate? No, no, it was just, it was the candidates. It was uh, Alec, Alec Lewis actually moderated it. And I was there uh, keeping time and, um, 
my Katie, uh, my daughter, who is our who's my co-publisher, um, she um, ran the audio vi- visual stuff. Um, right. So yeah, I was just eye candy last night. No. Yeah. So, so in East Hampton Town, I, sh- I should point out that the Republican candidates are having a, a town hall style um, uh, presentation where, where it's just going to be them. And I, I don't have the uh, the date and time offhand, but you can find that on 27east.com. Uh, um, so so they will have an opportunity to, you know, to address the public that way. And I think we're certainly going to cover that. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving moving on to uh, some some lighter news, uh, Denise. So you, you covered, and I thought this was really this was just really nice and and adorable that um, that there was a couple who celebrated their sixty fifth wedding anniversary. Oh my! Um, at Peconic Bay Medical Center last week, and you did a nice piece on that. And it's really nice, I think, when we can uh, when we can cover. Um, you know, slice of life yeah. um, stuff like this, and not focus just on all you know politics and and COVID and you know and all that stuff. Yeah, it's uh, you know bittersweet. I mean, the woman is a long term resident of um, the Conic Bay's uh, skilled nursing facility. She's eighty two. Her husband, I think, was eighty three. They got married when they were seventeen and eighteen. Hmm. Um. And, um, you know, he's not a resident of the facility and um, and she is. And um, I, it's it, you know, it was just very sweet. They kind of did a little thing where uh, one of the hospital employees who has a beautiful singing voice um, sang to them and various employees and the, the whole Riverhead Town Board came to um, salute them and. Uh, just got a really sweet picture of them kissing. Um, it was, you know, it's emotional. I mean, if, so my mother-in-law spent the last three years of her life there after having a, you know, massive stroke. And my father-in-law was not a, a resident. He lived out in, on his own. And so we kind of know like how, what that's like. And you could see like, it reminded my husband who went to take pictures of um, of this. It reminded him of his own parents because you could see. He said he came back. He said you could see the look on her face as she just she couldn't stop looking at him, and uh-huh. you know she was just yeah. And you know he got pretty, a little emotional about it because it reminded him so much of his own mom. You know they just want nothing better. You know nothing more than to be able to get out of there, you know, as wonderful as it may be. And as, as well, you know, as well cared for as they are, it's just, it's, it's hard, but you know, it's, it's part of life. And um, it was nice that the hospital really, you know, did that for them and uh, gave them that recognition. So. Gave them a special day. I think. Yeah. He was a long time, uh, Bethany, this is, (laughs) he was a long time Manorville fire district commissioner. Really? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So not that you're either in Manorville or a fire district commissioner, but you're a firefighter. Oh, I I talk to those guys. (laughs) I do too. But you're in the service, so. I remember Manorville. There's a lot of trees there. There's a lot of trees there. So Beth, you wanted to talk about bay scallops. What's the latest with the bay scallops? They're all another another bad another year, right? Groundhog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, it's the same, you know, suite of issues that all kind of came on at once three years ago and um, seems to be a problem. Again, the opening day of base scallop season is usually the day before Election Day, um, which leads to Election Day scallop dinners, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but uh, so that's next. That's Monday, the uh, the first of November. Um, and what we're hearing is basically that um, it's very similar to the last couple of years. Um, uh, there's uh, several several factors, warming water, uh, particularly at the time when they're spawning, um, a parasite and this uh, cow nose ray, which is a, a kind of ray that is uh, native to warmer waters that is enjoying the fact that our waters are warming. Um, so um, uh, researchers have been working on trying um, to uh, breed the scallops that seem to be most resistant to higher water temperatures, but scallops are very sensitive um, creatures. <laughs> uh, they only live for two years. And um, uh, so you have a very mm. small window. Um, and they also have very thin shells compared to other shellfish, which is part of the reason the cow nose rays like them so much. They, it's very easy for them to break up the shells. And, Get at the cow nose well. rays are kind of new in these waters, then, huh? Yeah, they're just the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, who and knows? It, but it's, and it's the adult scallops that are dying off. And fortunately, I think after they've they've spawned, right, so that there are these juvenile scallops for for the next year. So there's hope that that somehow, um, sometime in the in the future, that you know that there's something can you know something can be done to bring these scallops back right yeah every year we have this hope because they they do die after they spawn hmm. um which is uh kind of a good thing except that three years running now it has it hasn't panned out right um so um so yeah i don't know um how success i mean i mean changing changing the entire makeup of base scallops in the base to ones that are more resistant to warmer temperatures if the temperatures keep warming, warming, I don't know. You know, it's a race against time, really. Yeah. Um, but can can you can you alter the population that way? Can you can you bring in a hardier scallop? We haven't tried. Uh, I mean, a lot of like they do this with clams quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, they have the clams in East Hampton. What are they called? Do you know Annette? The notata? The seed clams. Yeah. Yeah. What kind? No, I don't know. Um, yeah, they have a, a line across their shell. I think they're called notatas. Um, oh, they have okay. a line across their shell, and those are, that's how you know they were grown in the East Hampton shellfish hatchery. Okay. But clams are a lot easier to grow in captivity than scallops are. Um, hmm. That's why, like, you farm, you, you hear about farmed oysters all the time. You can farm clams, but they grow well um, in general. Uh, but farming scallops is a very difficult thing to do. If you were to farm scallops, you could probably sell them sooner. Um, I believe the state, if, if you have farm scallops, you can sell them when they're less than a year old. Um, oh. Whereas wild-based scallops have to be a year old, but they're small enough as is when they're two years old. So the first year mm -hmm. scallop is going to be very small. Um, so it's a, it's a historic industry here that's really taken a hit. I think the, yeah. the eel, the lack of the eel grass, that also I think was what really started their downfall because they they really relied on the eel grass and the eel grass in the base is really hard to come by now. That's that's something that started dying off a long time ago. Yeah, maybe maybe Fisher's Island's the place. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't grow up, on, uh, you know, out here, obviously. But um, I, I mean, I just you hear stories all the time about what a significant impact scallops had. I mean, not just on the industry, but just culturally, um, yeah. you know, on the East End here, you know, kids, people talking about when they were kids and they would just, you know, be walking home from school and they'd go into the bay and they'd, you know, find some scallops and just, you know, eat them eat them raw on the way home, um, you know, that type of thing. And it's um, more and more you see, you know, with, with the, with the warming planet and, you know, and, and other, other elements, you just see a lot of that culture disappearing. Huh? Yep. You're listening to behind the headlines on WLIW 88.3. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of Express News Group. I'm joined this week by my co-host Annette Hinkle, the arts and living editor for the Express News Group. Beth Young, um, editor and publisher of East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti, publisher editor of Riverhead Local. Uh, and that we had kind of a little murder mystery in Sag Harbor this week, um, which I think is still mostly a, a mystery. But yeah. what uh, what happened there? I guess what had happened is that the Sag Harbor Police Department had gotten a tip that there could be somebody who was wanted for a possible murder that had happened out in Colorado. I believe it was in Colorado Springs that this gentleman um, lived and he had fled Colorado and driven all the way to Sag Harbor for some reason and had um, gotten a hotel room at the Sag Harbor Inn. And his wife um, was not with him. And I guess his wife's parents, perhaps they were tracking her cell phone and he may have had that with them. So they were a, a little concerned and suspicious. They were in New Jersey, so they couldn't really go to Colorado to, to check on the welfare of um, their daughter. So they alerted authorities about his um, about the existence of the cell phone in Sag Harbor. And I guess the Sag Harbor police arrived and were able to were admitted to the hotel room by the by the man. But once they got inside, I guess he had picked up a knife and was a bit threatening. And it took, I think, an hour and a half or so for them to subdue him and bring him into custody. He buried himself in, in the bathroom, I think. And I guess they found enough thing, enough um, objects in the hotel room that made them very concerned for uh, suspicious. I'm not sure what the objects were, but they contacted the Colorado Springs Police Department, who then went to the couple's apartment and found that indeed the wife had been murdered. Um, and so he was taken into custody and we don't know a whole lot more about that, but it, it's interesting. It was, I think basically the, the cell phone, the parents must've been able to, uh, had the, the cell phone tracking on. So they knew exactly where he was and why he came to Sac Harbor is, is sort of a, a big mystery, you know, given how much it costs to rent a hotel room, other places. For all we know, Sag Harbor is a hotbed of, of fugitives, you know, running. Yeah. It's always under the radar a little bit. But you always love it when you have a front page that says murder suspect arrested in village, you know? Yeah. Kind of not something that happens every day. Well, and, and I like never remember that happening. <laughs> like you said, they must have collected some evidence because I know one of the Sag Harbor police um, officials um, actually had flown out to uh, to Colorado Springs um, to to meet with the department out there, and hopefully we'll get a little more information at some point when there's you know indictments and and all that and what's going on. It was just a really curious thing. Well, coincidentally, Joe Shaw is out in Colorado at the moment. Maybe he can do uh-huh. some reporting and go knock on the doors of the neighbors and get some firsthand take on what happened. And oh, he was always such a nice boy. Yeah, that's what they usually say. Put Joe to work. Put Joe to work. 
<laughs> he was kind of quiet, kept to himself. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we already Joe, wrote it. Joe Shaw on assignment. Go. Colorado Springs. But we do. We have a reporter um, in, in Colorado as, as well. So, I mean, we could have the I know Colorado he, Bureau. He his fedora. What was so that? Has, I know he brought his fedora, so he's all set. Well, there you go. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> a little, put a little press card in the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> obviously, we feel for the uh, for the for the family of, of the victim. I don't want to make too much too much light of it, but it's just a weird, you know. Again, this is behind the headlines, and it's just one of those weird weird stories that you know that we deal with and you know there's probably a little gallows humor you know involved too but it's just you don't see you don't see this kind of story every day it's true fortunately fortunately yeah um denise i know we had talked a lot last week about the that was um the riverhead school district business official um some some shenanigans going on there with the district not being forthcoming and just i know there was you know i know that you wrote a follow-up this week and there's not a lot more information to share but um maybe you could just kind of bring us up to date at where we're uh where we're at with that right now yeah i mean we, we kind of just pieced together you know some version of what had happened um without knowing you know the exact facts but um and and uh, you know they after we reported on it last week, and I I wrote kind of that somewhat scathing column about their behavior and how they handled the situation, not about the situation itself. Right. Um, so they um, the school board president um, on behalf of the school board uh, sent me a letter, uh, basically just confirming what we had reported. Uh, you know. The, this gentleman has been reassigned uh, pending investigation of a complaint of some sort that was not, um, you know, revealed. Um, and um, we'll wait and see what happens. I mean, they hired a law firm to investigate it, they said. And, um, you know, who knows? <laughs> um, one thing that sound that seems clear anyway from what I've heard, you know, in the rumor mill, uh, which of course you know we all report, but uh, it's it it doesn't seem like there's any kind of um, you know financial malfeasance. Uh, malfeasance, thank you. Well, my brain's not working so well, but um, it so it doesn't seem like that's what it is. Even though he was the chief financial administrator officer of of the school district, so um, but I, it sounds like it's kind of like an employee relations type of. Uh, you know, issue um, at, with, at, you know, at, at, at the supervisor of, uh, you know, being a supervisor of a lot of people. So I don't know, but, and, and chances are we probably will never find out because that's how these things seem to go. Right. Um, you know, um, unless you have a teacher in a car with a loaded weapon for which he has no permit, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we, anyway. we, we had a similar situation, I think. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's <clears throat> so not we'll, anything like that. Thank goodness. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. So we'll, we'll check back in with Riverhead Local as, as uh, for further updates with that. We are we are quickly running out of time, but I did want to mention um, uh, and that we had a story this week. The entire Bridgehampton Citizens Advisory Committee 
um, resigned en masse um, and are thinking about creating instead a civic association because they've been feeling ignored by the by the town board. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because these advisory committees, you know, they, they were set up oh decades ago. And the idea is that there's sort of a liaison between um, communities and the town board right and i believe with the the bridgehampton um, cac they just grew more and more frustrated because they were frequently weighing in on issues and just felt like they were getting absolutely no feedback or even um confirmation that their you know missives have been heard or received by the town board and i don't know if you know i don't i haven't covered this the cac in quite a while but i don't know if there was just maybe if their expectations were maybe not quite accurate as to what their role was and that they thought that they perhaps should have a little bit more say in I, some I, of the zoning issues what do you think Bill? i i think that that that's certainly the case and i think they were weighing in on they were they were trying to advise planning board zoning board you know and, and other bodies and that's just not the way that that this kind of group is is set up. We are out of time. Um, I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. I want to thank my co-host Annette Hinkle, arts and living editor of the Express News Group, our panelist Denise Civiletti, editor and publisher of Riverhead Local, and Beth Young, publisher and editor of the East End Beacon. Fantastic show, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us.